hadn't been here every Sunday. When we got into all the COVID stuff, we had people with different fears of different risk. And so what we did, we divided up our services where we have the prayer first. We eat first and we have the prayer first. We fellowship first and have prayer first. And then we hear the message. And then for people who at that time were fearsome about singing in a small room, we sing last. Now we've always sung songs that you requested. So we do that until there's nobody left to sing. And people can leave anytime they want. And we enjoy this way and appreciate this way, and it seems to suffice for everybody. So understand, please, we don't have a lot of what you might call organization here, but I've learned it takes a lot of organization to appear like you don't have any. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, that's the reason we do things like we do, hopefully, to be able to appease everyone and, and what their idea is about what this thing is called church. So if you will, please this morning turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start there. We've got about five, five areas of Scripture to deal with. We've been talking about what Paul said about the, what happened to Eve and his fear that we may miss the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. We have a problem with simplicity, people. <laughs> have you noticed that? The greatest man that ever lived can walk the earth, be killed on a cross and die and be resurrected in three days and in 2,000 years we'll call it a pagan holiday, Easter, we'll dye eggs and celebrate it with new clothes and Easter bunnies. That's the way we do things. We don't do things the simple way. So we'll be talking about simplicity again this morning and what Jesus intended for simplicity to be for people who go to church. The title this morning is Jesus the Example. I was never told as a child in church that I was supposed to live like Jesus. I was told he was perfect. He did all these miracles and all like that. I didn't know I could do them. Nobody told me I could. I didn't know I had everything he had, the Holy Spirit, to cause me to have the ability to do these things. And then I learned after years that the best thing I can do is study the Gospels about the way Jesus did everything because that's the way I'm supposed to do things. And I do have the ability to do it because Jesus gave me that ability through the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of me. The only thing I have to wait for is for God to want to do what he asked me to do, and then I'll be able to do it. <laughs> 
That keeps me from asking for stupid things and things that are not timely and the things that won't work. Since I learned that, I've changed my whole prayer life. I don't pray for near as many things as I used to because I understand that I'm not supposed to. But in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which also was also in, G- in Christ Jesus. He said, I want you to think like Jesus thought, the same way he thought, and the way he responded to things. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus came down here and was given the appearance of men. And it says in Hebrew, in every way he was like me and you. In every way. That precludes a lot of speculation about how many miracles he performed in the sandbox as a child. Because he didn't. Until he was baptized, he never performed one, I believe. And the first thing that he was asked to do was at the wedding, and his mother asked him to, and he told her he wasn't ready yet to do that, but he did it for her. I still don't understand all of that. But as Martin Luther said about some other stuff, that's a knot I'll leave for Jesus to untie, because I'm not quite smart enough to do it. But he made of himself no reputation. He saw what God had planned for him and as he realized the life he was supposed to live down here with us, he accommodated himself in such a way that he could do that in a perfect way. Made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave. Now every time you see that word, translated servant in scripture 99% of the time, it's really slave. When you see yourself as a servant, and you know a servant has an opportunity to say no to his master. A slave doesn't. Please understand that. Why people translating scripture would change the word slave to servant, I don't know. Because essentially, folks, The God that you serve is your slave master. We've talked about that in the last several weeks. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He hung on to God, that word means. He chose to hang on to God. He told everybody that came down the big road he was God's son and that everything he did was coming straight from God. That he didn't do it himself that God did it through him. And was made in the likeness of men. He's made like you and I. And you know what? Of all the spiritual being, he's the only one still that away. Jesus sitting on the throne on the right hand of God today making intercession for you and me, speaking up for us. you can still walk up and touch him on the shoulder. You can shake his hand because he's still got that body that he was given by his father. 
and that matured and walked on the earth for three years and had a ministry here with me and you. He still got it. And being found in fashion as a man, in other words, in man's appearance, he looked just like us. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the wishes of his Father, Jehovah God. Even to the point of him dying and leaving this human existence down here in a fleshly body like we've got. Wherefore? You know what that word means? Because of all this. Because of what? Because of him being humble, because of him being obedient to God in everything God wanted. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, folks, is still what church is all about. Church is not a building. Church is what's happening in you, inside of you. It's when you believed in the, 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 the salvation of Jesus Christ And he put the Holy Spirit in you. And it's in there now in you, working you to do those things that God wants you to do. That expression, and was made in the likeness of men, means in their terminology that when Jesus came to this earth, he had pre-chosen, if that's a good word, to be like us. And that means that every privilege he had in heaven, when he and God were living together there, all the status and the glory that he had given to him, he gave it all up. He gave up every privilege he had to live here with us. And it was when John the Baptist baptized him and the Holy Spirit from God came and lit on his shoulder in the form of a dove that he received all this power and authority that he has showed all the way through. The same power, I might add, that you and I have dwelling in us today. I can do anything. But the thing I had to learn is limited by what God wants me to do. He'll give me the ability to do anything he wants done. But that is the deciding factor. I've got to be working for him. Turn to John chapter 1. The book of John chapter 1 in verse 1. You say, well, we've heard this. Yes, yeah, some of you have, and some of you hadn't too much. 
And I've found that people who still cling to God like Jesus did, and they cling to Jesus in the process, don't mind hearing it over and over again. Because there's always some part of it they might have missed. And I want to make sure you get all of it. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. Jesus was called the Word. In the beginning it was He and God together, and He was with God. And He had all the glory that God had. But another description for him was the Word. This is what I've got in front of me today. This Word is Jesus Christ. He wrote every word in it, I believe. You say, well, how would he do that? He could. He could do anything he wanted. All he had to do was inspire people to say what he wanted them to say, and they did it perfectly. All things were made by him. That's something I missed in my early studies. What did it say? That God created the heavens and the earth? Which God? That's the one thing that I find about Scripture. We assume a lot of things. If it says God, we think we were talking about only one God, and there were three. But it says here that Jesus made everything. You know, the word God can be three. Can be talking about three. The word angel. You can't tell when the word angel in the Bible is used, whether it's God's angel or one of Satan's angels. You have to read the context to see which one is talking about. Use the same term for all of them which they all were, but a third of them started out with God and they left him with Satan. We talked about all the enemies we as Christians live with every day. And we found out a couple, three weeks ago that there were at least 33 million that got kicked out. We've got at least 33 million demons that are living around causing us trouble every second. And we don't often realize that they're there and that what general orders they have to try to confound anything that God has done through us that would bring him glory. That's a tremendous responsibility we have. And I think we often neglect it. If, like I said, 70% of the people who poll workers say, say there is no Satan, then he must be doing a pretty good job. In him, verse 4, was life. And the life was the light of men. Please understand something. The Bible terminology for light and darkness is ignorance and knowing things. 
And in Jesus was the knowledge that men needed. Life. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus came to this earth, and most of the earth was in darkness. Most of the earth is still in darkness. It's in ignorance, and they don't know what Jesus came to deliver to us. They don't see it that way. They don't understand that he's the only one that had what every one of us needs. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But hey, you and I did. You thought about the other side of that? He had what we needed. The darkness didn't comprehend it. But we did. We understood it. And because of it, we now have life. A life that the darkness does not possess. What the light that Jesus had, the life that he illuminated, we understood. We saw it. We could read it. We could understand. Psalms 36 and verse 9 says... For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. We have light. Our light is the knowledge of Jesus Christ that we comprehended that the darkness does not understand. And our job, it says, let your light so shine before men that others may see Jesus, your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You got to shine your light. Now a lot of people are talking today, you got to be particular where you shine your light because your light might get dirty like some other people's lights have gotten dirty. You got to be careful where you go. You got to be careful who you talk to. You got to be careful what you're involved with, or you might get dirty like they're dirty. Well, I'd like for you to see this like a flashlight. Your light can be like a flashlight. With the strength of God behind you, you don't have to be concerned about getting dirty as the people that you're ministering to. You can go to these places where it's dirty and immoral and ugly and you can hand them checks to turn their lights back on a lot of those places are not very clean people and we try to avoid them but that's where the needy are that's where the weak are but I tell you what you can do it's possible to take a flashlight cut it on and shine it on a hog pen That's the dirtiest, stinking place I know of. You can shine a flashlight on a hog pen and then turn it and shine it on a coconut cake, which is one of the best things ever. Especially those icing where it doesn't get hard, you know, where it stays kind of soft. 
I've been a diabetic 53 years. I still remember one of those cakes I had at a birthday party when I was five years old. That mama could cook a coconut cake like you couldn't believe it. But at any rate, you can shine that light on a coconut cake, and you know what? The hog pen is not tracked over on the coconut cake. When you get your light to that coconut cake, you can't even smell the hog pen. So you see, you can travel in places. You don't have to. When God called you to a place and you asked God to fortify you to go into that place and minister for him and come out of there unscathed, you can do that. We've seen people do it for years, missionaries. We've also seen missionaries that couldn't do it. They finally, eventually, got caught by the nastiness that was around them. But you can do that. Your light can shine. And it can shine like Jesus wanted it to. Contact without contamination. That's what they call it. (laughs) Have contact with ugly without getting contaminated by it. You can do that. And let me tell you something else, please. That's a kind of a pet peeve of mine. Don't get sanctimonious. If you're around people who are doing things that are not good, don't make sure that they know that you've never done that, that you wouldn't touch anything like that for nothing. Because you will. You know that? You will. Eventually, you'll do something you know God doesn't want you to do. So don't appear to them to be better than them because you're living the life of Christ. We see people do that, and all it does is try to turn them off. That kind of stuff turns people off. First Corinthians. Don't have to turn there. I'll flip there real quick. There's only one verse. And I'll come back out of there. First Corinthians 4, 7. It says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? What makes you different? If you take that sanctimonious attitude about people and what they're doing, except for the grace of God, it says, there go I, we've all heard that. You don't know what situation got them in that problem. You don't know what weak conscience that made them choose to do something. For who maketh thee different from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Where did you get the spiritual life to live the kind of life that God wants you to live? From God. How many times have you heard it preached from this pulpit that it is not in the man that walketh the ability to direct his own steps. 
If God doesn't tell you how, what's right and how to live, you can't figure it out. You can't. So who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God gave it to you. He gave it to you because he chose you to have it. And if you've got it and you know better, why would you act like some kind of way you got it on your own? Because my Bible tells me over and over and over. Man's goings are of the Lord. God told us how to act. How then can a man understand it? So God gave you every ability you have to live like Jesus. He gave it to you. You didn't figure it out. Besides, if you come on like you're a little bit better, they won't like you. They won't like you at all. You walked up in their group. They were all doing this. And if you make out like you're better than them, they won't have anything to do with you. They won't ask you. They won't talk to you. Because you see, the Holy Spirit of God is on this earth to convict men of their sin. And whether you want to or not, when you walk up and say, no, thank you. That's all you've got to say. The Holy Spirit takes over the rest and said, you know, really and truly, I ought not to be doing this myself. And it convicts them. And that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It really is. In Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that saith unto him, Thou art my son. Who said that? Jehovah God. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. That's God. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's calling Jesus a priest. His father's doing that. Who in the days of his flesh, in the days that Jesus lived here on the earth, in the flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. When did Jesus do that? That night in the garden. He cried out to his father with fear. And it said he was known to have fear. The disciples were there. They knew he was scared to face the cross. It's been speculated in my life all kind of reasons why he was afraid. It doesn't matter. He was afraid. Jesus was afraid to go to the cross. But even in that, and that's what it said, even obedience unto the cross, even with that, he said, Lord, my Father God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. 
He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. He prayed that God was crying when he said tears like drops of blood was coming off of him. That's what he's talking about. That night in the garden. And it was heard in that he feared. Yes, he did. Though he were a son, verse 8, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learned to be what Jesus became before he went to the cross by the things here on this earth that he experienced and suffered while trying to be a representative of his Father God. And being made perfect, before he went to the cross, that word means complete. Before he had complete, and being com, have, having completed his education to be like us, in appearance to be like us, in thought to be like us, in feelings to be like us, to experience, as we said this morning, everything that I have experienced. Jesus did that. He knew what it felt to be me. And that's the reason I can't say, well, Jesus, you know, if you'd have had your toe caught in a bear trap. No. He had everything. He knows exactly what it felt like. And being made perfect or complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. When he became complete, he went to the cross and shed his blood for your and I, my sins and gave us a way that we can be where we are today. Living life as children of God and of brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and of people who have the indwelling Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us to do everything right. And what is right? Whatever God says is right. He feared. He knew who he was. As the Son of God, he still learned. And when he became everything, he introduced the church to us all. But only those who obeyed him. Only those who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and obeyed it and believed it. In 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, Paul said. You got the power. You got the Holy Spirit. You got the authority. And in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul said, We came and told you about all this, and you believed it. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now you've heard it said around here, you've talked some of it yourself, that we felt like to start with that we were delivered to Briarfield. 
That Briarfield is where we were supposed to be. That Briarfield was the place we were supposed to impact and everywhere else that we might be able to send the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we could help people in Briarfield cut their lights back on and cut their water back on and see a Jesus that they've never seen before and see concern and love from a people in a little bitty church down there on the corner. It was told me the other day that I have moved around all over the county in my business and when people ask me where I go to church, I tell them the church at Briarfield and I have not run into a single person yet that didn't know about that little church down there. And we're to be examples. And I pray we've been that. That's the impact that we're supposed to have. But now I want to bring up something that we mentioned in the last three or four or five sermons. Also, we're talking about missing the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. Please do not put a little church on the corner like this one down because maybe it's not big enough to do something. I saw a church foundation being laid on 119 the other day, and that is the biggest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Now, I'd like to remind you something, please. I'm not trying to be nasty or sarcastic or anything like that. I'm just telling you. There was a church like that in Jesus' day. Did you know that? You know that? It was the temple at Jerusalem. It was big. There was many buildings and it covered a vast area and it was known all over the world then as the church. Not the church, it was known as the temple. We've got a church. Until Jesus died on the cross, there was no such thing as a church. Those things weren't churches, they were temples. And it was brought up to Jesus by the disciples how big and magnificent the building was. And the place was. And how it shone gold miles away from town. You could see it up on that hill. How beautiful it was. How magnificent it was. How big it was. And what is his comment? But when I come back, there won't be one stone sitting on top of another. So what I'm saying to you people, I don't know why nobody builds little bitty churches in the country anymore. I don't know why people build little uh, preaching boxes like these for 35, 40, 50, 60 people. You know, there's probably as many people sitting in here this morning as this church ever had in membership. I've seen the figures. The most people they ever had as members of this church was 50. Since 1886, 50 was the biggest congregation they ever had. We baptized more than that since we've been here. <laughs> so don't miss the simplicity, the thing that Jesus wanted, the word that's coming out from his book, the truth of what is and what isn't, of what's supposed to be and what isn't, and how we take something and run with it wide open and how much it means to Jesus.
in Romans chapter 6, the last scripture, in verse 16. Here's the message for us. Out of all of this, here's the message for us. We've got to see what is. not what we might have an idea of in our mind. Jesus is concerned about that one word that a fellow sitting on a pickup truck tailgate with a sandwich in his hand and a pair of overalls working on the job, that word he says to that fellow that's sitting on the tailgate next to him. Have you heard about Jesus? (laughs) Do you know what he does? Do you know how he works? Have you ever had a thought about believing in Jesus Christ and what he does? That's the thing that Jesus is concerned about. They can be done right in big places or they can be done wrong in big places, the same way with small places. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom you obey. Not servants, your slaves, who you choose to obey. And you see the two obvious choices there. There's either Satan, you can obey him, or you can obey Jesus Christ. There's that too. It's your choice. Now, not only for salvation, but I'm talking about every minute of the day. Do I do this? Would God approve of this or not? It's not only about salvation. It's about everything. Do I live my life every day like God would want me to live it? And I've got to find out from Him how to do it. That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's a choice. But God be thanked that ye were the servants or slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You heard it and you believed it, and now you're in a different place. Being then made free from sin, ye became the slaves of righteousness. Well, you've got to understand, Brother Joe, I mean, it's still a choice if I choose not to do what God wants me to do. I have a right to do that. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. No, you don't. You're a Christian today. You're a slave of Jesus Christ. He bought you and paid for you with his blood. He owns you. And you do not have that right to do the wrong thing. You do not. You may think you do. But you don't. So here's the thing. Just how simple is Jesus? Jesus is as simple as two people talking to each other on a tailgate. Or it can be just as simple as Billy Graham with a stadium with thousands of people in it. But the thing is, 
Jesus is not fancy. And you can't put that on him. Jesus had one suit of clothes. And he wore them every day. And when the guy says, I believe I'll come with you, Jesus, and help you in your ministry, Jesus turned to him and told him, but there's something you've got to understand. Birds have got nests to live in. And even foxes have got their hold in the ground that they got a home that they can go to and live in. I don't have anything. If you go with me, as one old fellow said one time, it's going to be catch as catch can. <laughs> it's whatever's offered to you. That's what we get to enjoy because I don't have anything to offer you. I came here and I did away with all my privileges so that I would be like that so that you can't hang anything on me but that I did exactly what my father wanted me to do, to be what I asked you to be. And that's simple. It's like I said about fasting. I think the reason Jesus talked about fasting is because it's something everybody does. It doesn't matter if you eat three biscuits a day, you can eat two and a half biscuits. You know what I'm saying? You can sacrifice what you eat to serve God, no matter what it is. It's simple. It's very simple. And the more simple I think we can deal with it, the closer we'll come to living like Jesus lived when he was here on this earth and being able to deal with people like he dealt with people and not to try to put ourselves above anybody Anybody. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for living here among us in such a word, in such a way that you're above reproach. Yet nobody can rightfully accuse you of living wrongly. I thank you for that, for the ability to do that and to show me how it needs to be. Give us grace, give us mercy, and give us strength to do what you did and the way you did it. That we might be those peculiar people you called us <laughs> that live here on this earth and act so strange. Thank you, Lord, for being our Savior and saving us into the family of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.